Welcome to Still Growing in Grace, a program dedicated to inspiring joy, giving hope, and delighting in grace. I'm Mike Zenker, and I'll be sharing with you a message of hope that will expand your understanding of God's love and amazing grace. God already deeply loves you, totally accepts you, and really, really likes you. Growing in Grace Ministries Canada and Hope Fellowship, your community church, invite you to enjoy today's program as we dig deeper into what it means to be still growing in grace. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another wonderful week. It is September 22nd and fall has arrived. It's cool outside. It's raining. Uh, It's one of those gloomy mornings outside, at least weather-wise, but uh, it's not gloomy for the topic we're going to be covering today. I hope you had a chance to uh, listen in on last week's conversation, part one of two. Um, We're talking about Moses and Jesus and Richard Murray and I are having a fun conversation. If you've never thought through some of Moses's flaws and realized, ooh, we have some of the same flaws. Um, that became pretty apparent. I think today's episode also highlights that we've always held up Moses uh, traditionally as being some great leader. Oh, wow. You know, and then we we're also never really clear on why he didn't enter the land of uh, Israel when he went to the new promised land. He was forbidden from going in because of a sin. Well, that seems harsh. You know, he, heck, he let him out of Egypt. Come on. Like, he had to put up with all those cranky people and, and endure the plagues and all that stuff. You're not going to let him in, really? But when you see why or hear why, um, it's a little bigger than I thought. And I realized, oh, how many times are we doing the exact same thing to others? <laughs> so... We're going to learn a little bit about uh, Moses' ego and how it prevented him from uh, entering the promised land and the grace of God in the middle of it. In spite of uh, what he did wrong, God still blessed the people. (laughs) And I thought that was really cool. I think the way Richard put it last time was God didn't say after the, you know, he said, hey, uh, you know, uh, speak to the rock. And then Moses smashes it. God didn't say, well, he didn't quite do it right. So you're not getting nothing. In God's mind, my people need water, and they're getting water, you know. So this is between you and me, Moses. Let's go. (laughs) And that was really cool. So let's dive right in uh, to part two of two. Uh, I I really, really hope you uh, will enjoy this. Here we go. All right. We just had a conversation. If you listened last week, uh, we were talking about Moses and him trying to pull the wool over the people of Israel's eyes with uh, um, hey, you ticked off God and me. How care? How could you? And he struck the rock. That was awesome. Um, I want to come back to that, but I have I got two things I want to talk about today for sure, or the rest of this. One, I want to come to the Mount of Transfiguration because that's still in my I'm I'm assuming we're going there anyway. I hoping hoping you were. If not, I want to go there. Secondly, um, the the question of why we need to have that control and knowledge because. Um, when, when we're looking back in the Old Testament, we're saying, hey, we're seeing the strobe light where light shines on, we see it, and then there's darkness because you were talking about the strobe light of Revelation or how we read the scriptures. I think that's a huge problem with most folks and how they read the scripture. They see it all as flat, as even, as all of it's infallible, all of it's equal in authority. It's like, wait a minute, who made up those rules? And so I, I like the progressive journey that you were sharing because Moses, while he was still a good guy, he did a miracle and sinned at the same time. Man, that, that'd be heresy to some people to hear that today. 
Well, and, 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 uh, but I think it explains the situation we find ourselves in because, you know, we see a lot of guys and, and gals that we know are spiritual and yet fall into some huge this, that, or the other. And, and yet, so, so then our brains start to scramble and we say, well, I thought they taught me so much. And yet I've just seen them act like an idiot and a jerk, you know, or, or, uh, you know, how can this be? Well, it, it can be because we can both be a believer and a sinner at the same time. And the, and the, the, the example we used was this Moses thing, I guess just to refresh their memory was where God told him to speak to the rock so that, so that the, that all the Israelites who were starving and, and dying of thirst could be satisfied. And Moses would, God's idea was that Mo, Moses tenderly speak to the rock. It flushes out water. And that rock is Christ. We know that from other examples in the new Testament, that rock was Christ. Paul said in one passage, hmm. you know, that, uh, that they would see the tenderness and the loving kindness of God. But what does Moses do? He, he starts listening to their complaints before he strikes the rock. And then he says, how long must God and I put up with you people? And then he strikes, he uses his staff, strikes it in anger. And then the miracle does happen. So there was faith there. Moses had a level of faith to operate in that miracle, but he also sinned because he misrepresented the tone. And then so God no, comes so, to him, right? So no pastor does that every Sunday ever, right? <laughs> well, that, and this is in Numbers 20, by the way, if you want to look at Numbers 6 through 12. But if you look at this passage, right after Moses did that, then God swoops in there and says, Moses, you're not going to be able to, I love you, but you're not going to be able to enter the promised land because you have misrepresented my name. You have misrepresented my nature. And so Moses died on that mountain. And, and then uh, Joshua took them in, and Joshua was the type of Jesus, you know, because their name is basically the same. So there's all sorts of great stuff in that story. But, but there's an example of why we can't presume that all the violence in the Old Testament, just because these guys operated by faith, that the violence was from God. All right. We know now, even even though the text may say, thus saith the Lord. Yeah, that was that was yes. the author ascribing a belief. So they wrote what they believed, but exactly. it was incomplete, inaccurate because they were looking at this. They were seeing truth through the strobe light idea. There was a moment of truth where it was good. And then suddenly they had darkness and they did not see the truth as it was. So they wrote from that darkness. David did it. He praised God, and then he, he said, kill my enemies, like back and forth. Kill babies. Talked about killing yeah, babies. Yeah. Yeah, and we, we use this example here. If you can just see on my, on my light here, you, yours may be better than mine. But when I did this the other night on another podcast, it really went real because we were at night. But see, right, this is what the Old Testament is. And if I were to do this like 100 times a minute, it, it would be disorienting. And uh, I remember as a kid going through the tunnels, at, at the at the fair at the fun house in the ferry it would circle and then the strobe light would be there you would be so dizzy you couldn't get your balance and that's what the old testament is you can't really get your balance and the reason is the reason is they did not have a differentiated view of god their view of god was what i like to call a glob it was a glob that included god yahweh it, and it also included satan they believed that satan was the left hand of god and that the angel of the lord was the right hand of god or Yahweh was the right hand of God. So, and, and so that if either way it was God doing it, if we were being crushed, killed, plagued out, are eating our kids from cannibalism, you read Deuteronomy 28. You, you can see that Moses is there saying, this is what happens to you wicked people who refuse to follow the law. You become cannibals. You eat your own children. He says, and the Lord delights to send marvelous plagues on you, all sorts of burning diseases and crotch diseases and, 
and preaches well. Things. It really preaches <laughs> well. <laughs> but I mean, you know, that's not Jesus. Jesus, this is a, Jesus didn't do anything like that. He healed you of those things. He didn't send them to you. So I think most children, teenagers, and young adults already have an intrinsic um, knowing that that isn't God. But then as they continue to go to church, now they're confused. And well, maybe I was wrong, right? And so there's a, there's a confusion growing up, but something doesn't sit right. I know I had questions as a kid. So that, that doesn't make sense. You know, the hell part really did make sense. I was in a Pentecostal church for a couple of years in youth group. And man, that was a big topic. So I know I, I, there was many nights I was awake thinking, okay, end times, I'm dead meat. And then if I go to hell, oh, shoot. But God says he loves me. But it, like, the confusion was horrific. But somehow I knew it doesn't add up. So to me, well, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, go to Revelation and where Jesus, you know, it says only Jesus is worthy to open these seals. Mm. He's the great unsealer, the seals of Revelation. Revelation can make no sense without Jesus guiding us. The Old Testament is the exact same way. You and I just talked last week about how on the road to Emmaus, they didn't know, know the Old Testament. They heard all these passages, but they didn't know they, that the passages were preaching Jesus to come. He then showed them. Where in how he was in all the Old Testament, in all in the Psalms and the hymn, yeah, the Proverbs and the wisdom literature and the law and the prophets, he showed them. And it, then it said their hearts burned within them, and they finally recognized that he was in their midst. And I think that's wonderful. And you said it, you know, that Jesus needs to be our guide. And, and the metaphor we used last week was that, you know, the old concept of paying something forward. You know, that we don't take the Old Testament and pay it forward. We take Jesus in the New Testament and pay it backward. We can't understand the Old Testament because it's sealed. It's sealed from our understanding. It's veiled from our understanding. And Jesus even said, you know, to the Jewish people that it's because of, uh, of their relationship with Jesus that it's veiled to this day. But he also said it's going to be unveiled to them, that all Israel will be saved. But, but at any point, you know, at any rate, we, we need to understand that we don't read surface scriptures by their surface. Jesus has to be our guide and he's a guide who lives on the inside of us and he illuminates wonderful things about them, but it's always going to be stuff that's consistent with his character. That's not going to be a strobe light that goes on and off and makes everything choppy and, and dizzy. You know, it's going to be a floodlight. We said that, you know, he's a, in the new Testament. Jesus is a floodlight yep. in the old Testament. It's the strobe light, but that it wasn't because Jesus was a strobe light. It's because the darkness was coming from Moses coming from the other Old Testament saints because they didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. I can hear somebody asking right away, well, then is the Old Testament wrong? And I'm thinking, no, it's not wrong. It's incomplete. It's, it's a progressive revelation. It's a historical picture for the Jewish people. There's a lot of truth there, but it's incomplete from a lens that doesn't know God. Even Jesus said, nobody knows the Father. That means no writer of any of the Old Testament books, not a single one knew the Father. They had snippets, they had a strobe light, uh, uh, you know, quick glimpse, but none of them knows the Father. Therefore, we need to listen to Jesus, which brings me back to the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay. So I love the image of Elijah and Moses coming down. And God says to the voice of God speaks and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Okay. So who's beside, who's on either side? We have Elijah who represents the prophets. We have Moses who represents the law. And the voice says nothing about Moses or Elijah. It says, 
Listen to him, my son. He is the voice, the light, the one that you need to listen to, not the others. It was like they're being dismissed and say, look, time to move on. It's time to look at the, the life I've just given you. Put aside all that confusion because the more you study the law and the, 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 the prophets, the more confused you will be unless you listen to my son. Amen. Amen. And look at Peter in that passage. And we were talking earlier about how Peter is sort of the Moses of the New Testament. You know, they, they, they both have yep. an anger issue. I mean, Moses didn't hide his anger issue. He killed a man. He was the humblest, meekest man in the land, but he was still a murderer. Okay. And so are really we, when we think about it, if, if we talk about, you know, killing with our thoughts and yep. emotions and things like that. But, uh, you know, Peter observed something by the spirit of God. Yeah. We, I used this example the other night. You talk about a strobe light, even in the new Testament before Pentecost, and even after Pentecost, but yes. you, you got Peter, you got Peter in one passage saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus had asked him, who do, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Yeah. Peter. And then he said, oh, and then Jesus just rejoiced. Flesh and blood didn't tell you that, but my father's in heaven. My father revealed this to you. Then four verses later, four verses later, he says, I'm not letting you go to Jerusalem, Jesus. And then he, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. All right, that you talk about a strobe light. If, that, if that's not the perfect example of that, Peter got cocky, just like we get cocky. We hear something from the Lord, and we something works, and it hits on all pistons. And then the very next, we start thinking we know what to do and we know what to say. We don't need to listen. And guess what that is? It, I'm gonna. I'm, I just saw something. I think when we say, "Hey, I've got it," it's the veil we put on the veil because we think we have a revelation, yeah. and it's a veil trying to make sure nobody else sees past what we don't understand. Yes. Yes. And, and just to refresh their memory from last week, the veil, Moses uh, comes down and his face shines with the glory of God. And then after that, though, he puts a veil over his face uh, so the people wouldn't see it. But the New Testament explains what Moses's motive was. And his motive was not a good motive. It was a motive that he didn't want to see, he didn't want them to see it fade away. So Moses on the mountain is interacting with God, but every second he gets away from that encounter, <laughs> the glory is fading because of his own thinking is coming into it. I wonder, in when, he, rat, I wonder, when, the, I wonder when the veil was actually removed, removed, what that day would have been like. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, I'm telling you, the whole thing, you, you could say the revelation is the unveiling. You know, the whole thing about the book of Revelation, it's the unveiling. <laughs> You know, well, of people, Jesus. People forget that the book of Revelation is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not right. the revelation of an apocalypse coming. That's right. <laughs> Sorry. It's just, no. That's right. <sighs> and it's chock full of goodness. We ought to talk about that book someday. There's so many goodness verses in it uh, that get overwhelmed by the, by the overspeak, by the rhetoric that's in it. And uh, rhetoric that's unusual to us, but it, it, it's just so, there's so many goodness verses in it. You know, everything at the end of time shall praise the Lord, everything on the earth, beneath the earth, in the seas, you know, everywhere. But if you're I mean, wearing, but if you're wearing a veil called end times, or if you're wearing a veil called protecting uh, an angry God, you're going to read the entire text from that lens. Exactly. I, I think lens so matters. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, and, you know, we need, and that's why how we read the Bible, why the Bible refuses to be, allow itself to be systematized. Hmm. All right. So I, listen, I, I, I took systematic theology in seminary and I don't, you, you know, I mean, you know, uh, same with you. And I, 
Um, but you never saw Jesus present anything systematically. Never. Didn't he, didn't he teach and a course? Paul, <laughs> you know, they never exegeted Old Testament passages and said, well, let's look at the cultural surrounding here. And let's look at the various meanings. And let's look mm. at what Rabbi so-and-so said about this. And, uh, and, and, and try to, you know, exercise a hermeneutic on it. No, they got, they spoke from their gut. They took images. They, they just took like a little ladle and took out an image from the Old Testament and said, and mixed it around and used their love and used the spirit just to turn that image into a Christ related thing. You know, that they didn't need a seminary training on. And I'm not, I mean, I appreciate my seminary training, you know, to a degree, but I've learned not to push it, not to use it to go, you know, to diminish my imagination. We're, we're all, we're all, you know, we're all imagineers. We all had this imagination that God has given us, and he's given us a whole bunch of a, a treasure trove of images from the Old Testament that we can mix and match. We, as long as we're going by the Spirit of God, and as Augustine said, as long as we're being led by the love of neighbor and the love of God, we can't go wrong. Even if we are wrong, we can't go wrong, because those are the two things that are controlling our, our interpretive, you know, imagination. We're, we're not meant to stay in the muffin tray, meaning you, 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 put, your, you put your stuff in the muffin tray you, because the, the tray will hold the, the cookie dough or whatever the dough, and then it goes in the oven and bakes, and then it comes out of it. It's not meant yeah. to stay in there. And I think uh, the systematic theology stuff had a benefit. I needed that. I, it was part of the journey of growing, but that was just the pan. Like we're Why? supposed to grow and, and expand and, and see more. Like as soon as we take theology and make it a, uh, a doctrine, we put another veil on our head and say, this is, I don't want anybody else to see my insecurities because then you fight harder and louder and you become a mean person. That, that's yeah, what I'm seeing. I, yeah. I think that maybe, you know, like I told, like I told you the, the Corinthians verse where, where Paul said, these things in the old Testament were written for you as examples, not to follow. <laughs> I sometimes think that a lot of what we went through through seminary was we, you know, we felt God called us here and he did call us here. All right. But I'm thinking a lot of it has more to do with these are what I don't want you to do. Okay. And there's stuff to be learned here. I want you to learn to, to minister scriptures by the spirit. And, but for you to really understand what that means, you've got to understand what it's not. Okay. And I'm not here saying that there's no benefit to systematic understanding, but I'm saying that it's not that it's meaningless without the spirit quickening these truths to us. And, yep. uh, you know, um, those systematic and, things are tutors, not the daily guide. Right, right, right. They're instruments like anything else. You know, I remember, uh, you know, just the concept of David had so many instruments. He would continually <laughs> build instruments because these were things through which his spirit could operate. And that's, you know, that's the best that a theology can do really to me and systematic theology is it provides less friction. You know, just we, we need to just seek the, the system to the extent we need a system. It needs to be the, 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 the frictionless, the, the least friction system. It's not that the system itself is going to take us there, but, but just these, these ways of thinking can inhibit, inhibit our imagination. So uh, well, I, think, yeah. I think folks don't want to be wrong. That's a real fear in the Christian world in the West. They don't want to be wrong. They want to be right. And even worse, more right than someone else. Like, yeah, that's it's a competition. It's a sick competition. And uh, all love is lost when we try to one-up everyone or say, hey, I know a little bit more than you or I have a revelation. Um, I, I'm going to, I didn't say, I said I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to 
just touch on for a second, it's like this COVID vaccine information. You have people on both sides. You have Christians who say, hey, I have other information you should know about. It's like, wait a minute. This is not this is not about COVID right now. But the idea is that I have more information than you. Therefore, you need to see what I have and uh, follow me because I'm following the right message, right? Right, same, right. Same thing in theology. Same thing when you, oh, look at this revelation. So we have all these little sh- offshoots of faith uh, or denominations or movements, right? Uh, it's it's kind of scary because it all comes back to Jesus. Jesus said to Moses and Elijah and and uh, um, Jesus, Moses and Elijah. So God said to listen to my son, and that's yeah, very I, different. And maybe the the best way to look at that Mount of Transfiguration is not to look. The most important part is not that they appeared. The most important part is that they disappeared. Mm-hmm. Okay, and by the, by mm-hmm. disappeared, I mean. It says they were there and then they weren't because Peter wanted to build each one of them an equal tabernacle. All right. Now that sounds reasonable. Hey, these guys are supernaturally appearing. You might ask, well, how did he even know it was Moses and Elijah? Oh, he knew. God was making sure that part of it was there. You know, that they, they were glowing. And I mean, that was obvious who they were. But they also represent something. And, and they represent that the, these, the, the prophetic and, uh, you know, uh, the written prophecies and, and, and then um, the Mosaic law aren't ways, these aren't things that you're to worship, mm. all right? Because he, he wanted a temple where they could be worshipped. He said, no, this is my son, listen to him. And which for us means listen to his spirit. It doesn't mean that we don't, we don't enjoy scriptures and, and that someone, you know, that, the, that we can see things in the prophetic. But it's him, it's his personal ontology, it's his authentic mm. being, it's his personal presence that dwells in us. And, and that's why Paul goes on to say about making him preeminent in all things, Colossians says, preeminent in all things, not the scriptures, not the prophecies, not the wisdom literature, but Jesus himself preeminent in every aspect of our being. And I find that exciting. I would have, I would have freaked out with the voice to begin with. If God's speaking, holy smoke, these guys are hearing this voice coming through. Not only the vision, that's also freaky tiki. You know, maybe they had something weird in their drink. Who knows? But I'm kidding. But the uh, the whole point, <laughs> the whole point here is they're they're getting this experience, and they had a human reaction. I want I want to build a tabernacle. Like, wait a minute, you, you don't know how rooted in your system of religion you are, and I think. Maybe that is a revelation that's pretty big for some folks that unlearning that is going to take a lot longer than anyone wants to admit. Unlearning is more painful than learning. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, we, we want to go build a, you know, we want to go build a temple or a church or anything. <laughs> one of a million things right when we finally get a revelation and then, and then soon thereafter, Hey, what happened to everything? It wore <laughs> you know, off. The, the light yeah. grew dim. <laughs> I start seeing the strobing coming again. The strobing is our enemy. You know, the strobe, uh, you know, the strobing is better than nothing but darkness, but we need to understand that the strobing is a dangerous way and it's not the end of the game. God is not a strobe light. He's a floodlight. That's really the, well, from Psalm 139, it says, if I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Psalm yeah. 139. Yeah. Jesus came as light. And I yeah. think what he was doing, he was sending off vibes 
to the disciples uh, of light, like offshoots. Maybe he was a strobe light in some ways because they couldn't contain or handle the full on light. They would be like, how many lumens would that be? Right. They could not handle that. (laughs) And it's only the indwelling Holy Spirit. Um, The role of the pneumatology of the Holy Spirit changes from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we need to understand the why, because it's an external thing in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's an internal thing. And it's a temporary and sort of a strobe light thing in the old. The Spirit comes on these guys, and then it leaves them. You know, the Spirit departs, it comes, it departs, it comes. But in us, the Spirit resides. And Mm -hmm. so there's a whole different, you know, different perspective. And it's good to think on these things and to understand that when we're not operating in the spirit realm, but we're operating in the soul realm, these things can revisit us, these problems that they had in the Old Testament. We become a Moses like that the second we sort of choke off the spirit and try to take over. You know, but time and time again, we said Jesus's greatest act of submission is that he continually said whatever he did came was unction from the Father. Everything, every word I've spoken, every work I've done, I first saw the Father do it. That's complete submission. Not like Moses who says, how, well, how often must God and I, you know, put up with you rebels? You know, no, Jesus was a different thing. And that's the thing that's living in us. I'm so glad, you know, Mike, I'm, I'm so glad that Jesus lives in us. Okay. You know, to, to, to model all this. Here's, here's a weird blind spot question. Um, Jesus was talking to somebody, how, must long, how, must, how long must I put up with you? I think he used that phrase once. Uh, do you remember where that was vaguely? Um, but it, it, can, it can sound like Moses. It could sound like that was a Moses moment. Jesus himself saying, how much longer do I need to put up with you? And I thought, that's, that's a weird statement. So I'm, I'm wondering if, do you, do you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, you know, he would use he would use some some rhetoric here and there. Okay. Um, but um, I, I don't think when you look at his actions and when you look at the substance of his teachings, and to me, you know, and, and as I sit here, these when these gospel writers share the same incidents, they remember different things. From their lens, from their strobe light, yeah. From different lens. And, you know, that's why there's four of them. If one of them could perfectly deliver everything that needed to be said, there'd just be one gospel. But well, these hey. four, and that's like you look at the parables. Some of the parables have violence in them, but that same parable in another one doesn't have violence. In them. Mm. You know, so these, it was a work in progress. Hey, we're working pro- yeah. uh, in progress. Maybe that's the we, lesson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I think when we look at, uh, you know, when I... My whole life is centered around Matthew 5, 38 through 48. My understanding of Jesus's heart. Those are the most important passages to me in the Bible, because it's where he explains why his father is perfect. The last verse says, this is my father's perfection. Therefore, this is my father's perfection. And you need to try to be the same way. And if you back up, what's the therefore, therefore, the 38 through 48 says he loves his enemies. He walks the extra mile. He doesn't curse his enemies. He prays for them. He gives them, he, you know, he gives them the extra garment, walks the extra mile. He turns the other cheek. He makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust. Everything is about love of enemy. And that is really not preached a lot as the heart of the gospel, but it is. Yeah, it is the, it's, it's why God is perfect. And see, if God, if God is that way, you know, if he does, turns the other cheek and only prays for his enemy and only overcomes evil with good, what does that tell us? That everything in the Old Testament where evil is being overcome by more evil, by the same evil, that's telling us that's not God behind it. It's, it's us. It's Moses striking the rock. You know, any striking of the rocks 
any violence, any you know, the hostility that we see in the wrong testament that doesn't resonate with Jesus's nature or with the Holy Spirit's nature, because that's Jesus. Then we know because, you know, I think I've told you this before. I can't ever remember a time when the Holy Spirit told me to punch somebody in the face or to choke them. You know, or anytime I was hating somebody in my thoughts and I was despising them. But I, I, I can never once honestly tell you I felt the Spirit led me in that thought or the Spirit. I felt like as I've gotten older, I, I feel like the Spirit just, he's there, he's hugging me. He's hugging me through it, but he's not agreeing with me about it. Yeah. I think the first time I heard of uh, the idea that God was trying to gently reveal himself throughout the Old Testament progressively in stages, uh, in a way that they could possibly handle it, because none of them could handle it full on, is, is Abraham when he took his son up to, to sacrifice him. Um, it's like God was saying, you're in a system, you're in a world with cultures that say uh, child sacrifice is normal and honored. And this is, I'm trying to show you, I'm nothing like that. That's why I stopped them. So are you kidding? You know, this is nothing like me. And fine, he, yes, he killed a lamb, but dang, it, it was better than a kid right at the time so this is the progressive journey right. peeling right. back and we can see that happening throughout it's like one guy used the illustration of these uh, uh, he used bricks like plastic uh, foam bricks in a garbage bag and they're two different colors so the black the green ones were the false concepts of god and then the red ones were the right ones so he took some uh, bad ones out with abraham and threw some red ones in and yeah. then next person he went another one and just kept That's going good. like that until jesus shows up yeah, no, yeah, that, and really, I, I mean, we we talked about this before, but when we were saying that the glob, the Old Testament view of God was a glob because it had it was a light and dark. It was the, it's the strobe light. The dark was the satanic qualities, but they they believed that Satan was part of God's nature. That he was he was God's angry voice. All right, so it was a glob. But Jesus comes in the New Testament and pulls the glob apart, and then when he does, he says, "I see Satan's." I see Satan fall from heaven. What I believe that meant is that he saw Satan's uh, attributes fall from the heavenly view of God. Mm. And that's what crashed the earth. Because God, as the New Testament reveals, most important passage other than the God is light is the James 1 passage, which says God has no connection to evil. Let no man say when he's tempted he's, with evil that he's tempted by God, because God does, isn't tempted with evil, and he doesn't tempt anybody with evil. He is a father of lights who only good and honorable gifts come from, down from above. And I, man, that just, that closes it for me. The New Testament has to trump the Old Testament. And, and there's some speed bumps in the New Testament, like the ones you mentioned. I grant you, but there's not roadblocks. Doggone it, there's freaking roadblocks in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, there's some speed bumps. But we got to understand these guys aren't perfect. There's, you know, and gals, they're still working through it, just like we're still working through well, it. Peter but at least Paul, we, there's enough right? in the New Testament to let us. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're still and, learning and growing. Yeah. And, and I respect Paul for the guts that that took, you know, because Peter was, you know, because the Ananias and Sapphira thing, people thought he was the, you know, he was the giver and taker. He was the death. <laughs> but that's another thing. Well, that we would talk about that. Yeah. Another, that's a whole another, show. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Uh, yeah. If we don't see God as bigger and better then something's wrong. Bruce Walkup um, from Australia. He's uh, he works with Perichoresis Baxter Kruger. Um, many years ago, the first talk in one of his sessions was, "If what I'm sharing doesn't make God bigger and better, then this is not the gospel. Like you, that has to reveal the love of who God is." And so uh, that resonated with me right away. I said, "Okay, that makes sense because 
I don't want a dodgy gospel, he called it, <laughs> where it's yeah. incomplete or uh, a fake gospel or don't cover these wrong concepts with uh, a, a nice wrapping because it's, it's not real. And so we got right. too many people believing false concepts or incomplete is probably a better, safer word. Because uh, instead of calling someone wrong, I, I, I'm saying, hey, no, this is an incomplete understanding. Very right. different. Because that way I'm not fully right. right. I'm still learning. What I learned is I'm incomplete. <laughs> so, yeah. Amen. Amen. Yikes. Anyway, I'm looking at the time. We're done. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. I love this. I love this. I love this. Yeah, this, this topic's huge. And I uh, thank you for having the conversation. I, uh, I'm going to give a shout out to Brad Jerzak for a moment because he did an interview um, uh, on YouTube and maybe I'll share it sometime just to, as an extra post, but it was on inerrancy and fallibility. And so on. it's an hour and 45 minute interview. Stunning. A small group in my church an online group, we've been going through it and I just can't get enough. I can't hear enough. Some of the stuff you talked about was actually, he talked about that. It's like, this is cool. It's so, I, I just, thought about this i just learned about this so it's really really neat oh man i i hope you enjoyed that that was that was awesome um which makes me think that uh, much of our messaging today many of the sermons uh, um let me just say it from from my perspective um where i have been going in most of my messages on sundays is really what we just talked about the unpacking of false concepts and uh, shedding more light on the better, more hope-filled perspectives on who God is and more hope-filled perspectives on how to read the scriptures so or what we call the scriptures. So that that was really cool. I hope you enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. I'm going to say hello to a few folks. we got Sandra in the UK washing. Uh, hey, there you are. Yeah, cool. Uh, Howard from Sorrento, BC. Joy and Mark in uh, um, uh, Guelph. Uh, Denise, uh, yeah, you'll have to go back to the beginning. It was good. And if you didn't watch last week's, go watch it first. Uh, they're only half hour each, which is kind of nice. Um, I, I try to keep Wednesday mornings shorter instead of a full hour. Some people, they do full, they do full hour uh, interviews and stuff. And when I can, I will. But it's easier to watch it in short short snippets. Yeah. Hey, Robert, good morning. Uh, down in Windsor. Woohoo! I love it. Um, so Joy, you said, uh, this takes revelation because some people just won't believe this at all. And then above that, you said, um, you have friends that have moved back to the law again, uh, and they can't see the shift back and they think they're, they think it's just another shift. You're, you're right. Um, I have personally seen friends of mine, uh, move back into a legalism, uh, that I'm, I'm stunned at. It's like, I thought you were being dragged into grace deeper and now you're clinging to a law and I, I think what's going on there and i think COVID has really played a part in this okay i think fear this is all fear-based um anxiety so not only do we have the fear of what's going on in our world the pandemic the uh, and then last year, the election in the U.S. creating more fear and anxiety. We just had an election here in Canada. More fear and anxiety. Uh, rhetoric is ramped up. Stress is going up. And suddenly, now you throw in into the pot the theological shifts. Um, people are like almost spent uh, in their teachability. They're like, ah, I need to go back to what I know and where I don't have to think anymore. I just want to, I just want to believe and, and not worry about all that which I don't think is possible. Uh, I think people, 
honestly, I think living in the mystery and the tension of not knowing everything, but having a glimpse into uh, a better, more hope-filled perspective on interpretation, that's a scary place to live because it's not absolute. But the moment you make it absolute and dogmatic, you've gone back into some kind of legalistic thinking. You become less loving because you don't have to think anymore. You just have to I have my box. That's what my box says. And don't tell me anything different than what's in my box. Don't touch my box at all. And you can't do that. The, the mystery of love is ever expanding. It has no limits. And as soon as we put limits on that love, limits on the revelation of what this or that text can mean. Oh my goodness. Um, how many believers do we know that uh, know the answer, have it right? Like I cringe sometimes when I hear what I think are incomplete. Here's the, I'll give you an example. This is, this is personal um, and not everybody believes this, but I believe there are no end times coming. There is no rapture coming. All right. I've unlearned that. I grew up with it. I've lived in it for most of my life. I've I've grown up in that teaching that, oh, here's the end times again. My mom, for Pete's sake, she had her basement filled with Y2K crap. And when we had to clean the house out, half it was rotten, mice eaten. All the money that was spent on a BS theology in my mind. Okay, it's my mind. Um, that was a waste and fear, fear, fear is always about fear. Then we had to watch the movies, distant thunder, thief of the night, scare the hell right out of us, said the prayer a million times. Our, my generation was, was really, um, uh, what, what's the word traumatized by religion when it comes to end of the world, uh, rapture theology, um, all that stuff. So when I now hear someone believe that and purport their stuff, even online on Facebook, a lot of people comment, oh, dear Jesus, come now, rapture, please escape, help us escape. I cringe, but I also can't comment now. I want to, but I don't, some, some folks I just don't know well enough. I think when you have a relationship with somebody and there's a freedom to have a conversation, then you can engage in a safe conversation. But... If we're just all Facebook friends and you don't know people intimately or really well, stop fighting online. Stop commenting. And that means for us too, you know, to to careful to move on. Move on down the post. Don't get triggered by all this. I'm triggered by it. I hate it. I'm in fact my heart longs to drag people out of that faulty concept. And yet, keep in mind. For many, many years, that is all I believed, and I was right. Okay? I, I remember in grade seven, uh, sorry, grade six, I was um, moving to another school for grade seven and eight. And I came out of school at the end of the year in June, and I told some of my friends there, if I don't see you in September, it means the rapture has come and I've been taken away. Okay. I'm grade six. Are you kidding? I was 11 or 12. And that's what I'm telling, like, this is how deeply rooted this stuff is. So I believed it. So to hear anything different, oh, of course not. That's, oh, that's wrong. That's heresy. Oh, 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 but it took a long, long time. So I remember, um, um, oh, I think it was my early years as pastor. I was pastoring in an Alliance church, Christian missionary Alliance church. And there was a pastor not too far away, a guy named Paul and, um, 
I forget which which town he was in. But either way, he um, um, uh, he gave me a book to read uh, by oh shoot now I can't forget uh, Clifton. I think Chilton, David Chilton. That's it. Um, and it was the first time I had uh, a hope of hey, there, there's a better lens. Something was never sitting right. So I I, I read the book. I read it to my wife even at night. Sometimes I read chapters. Laura, you gotta hear this. Oh my God, it's all. Oh, oh, oh. But then I, I I went to Bible college and got indoctrinated. And so two topics got put on the back shelf: end times and hell. Because I wasn't sure. I just all I knew was there's another lens. I don't get it. There's another lens. I just don't get it. But if somebody pushed me on it, I would have to say, nope, Jesus is coming back uh, in this and this way. And this is how it's all going to happen. Um, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. I like Mike Warnke. He said, I'm pan-trib. It'll all pan out the way God wants it to. That's funny. Um, but anyway, um, and then years later, my friend uh, uh, Yanego Gobranson from Victoria, B.C. sat me down in his living room when I went to visit him. And I didn't have a choice in this, really. And he's my host. Of course I don't have a choice. So I sit down and watch, and I hear Jonathan Welton share something that triggers my heart, which totally pointed back to the David Chilton book. And a whole new hunger came to want to dive in. Now I want to learn more. And man, I dug in. I finally, in 2013, I preached my first end time sermon uh, from a very different lens. And I was scared. It's a two-part one. Um, but, okay, the, the re- I'm, I'm trying to get to a point that's really important. Because I've been exposed to a more hope-filled perspective, and I see all these other perspectives online of uh, rapture, fear, end times, look at the one world government, mark of the beast crap in my mind, I have to be careful, unfortunately, I have not perfected this, I still have to be careful not to come across as an arrogant, dogmatic person, knowing more than everyone else. Do you know what I mean? I got to be careful of that. Even though I'm convinced in my spirit, that's all bull crap. It, because it, it, I'm sorry, it's been dis- refuted enough times. And when you start to see its source, and as the love of God gets bigger and better, wait a minute, it doesn't fit with the love of God. It, it, something doesn't connect. And Joy, what you said is correct. It takes a revelation. And who's the one who gives us the revelation? It is Jesus himself. The Holy Spirit does the awakening. So I have friends who see um, different perspectives, and we don't always agree. In fact, I got friends we totally do not agree on a lot of things. We don't agree on COVID. We don't agree on some theology. And guess what? We get together and are friends. (laughs) We don't let these things tear us apart. And... Sometimes we have, we, we have a little bit of friction, but it's also a lesson to us teaching us how to talk about and not talk about a topic. It really is, because relationship is our foundation. And that's the way it is. Uh, so be, be loving to those that disagree. Be kinder to those who, one, don't agree with your perspective at all. Because, listen, you may not be right. Me, Mike, I may not be right. So our tone matters. Our presence, the light that we send off. Is it light or dark that we speak into other people? And if we 
speak our theology from a dogmatic lens or do say it dogmatically. It might be right, but if we say it dogmatically, it can be unloving and therefore it's received as darkness. Oh boy. I think people need to go out and enjoy a meal together more often, have a beer, have a wine. <laughs> they need to relax a bit more. They're so wound up. And honestly, that's why this whole contemplation, meditation, um, abiding mindset is a critical, critical element in finding peace, experiencing peace. That is already in us. It's already there. You don't have to ask for the peace of Christ to come to you. It is already in you. You need to see it and experience it. Believe it. If you don't believe it's there, it, you're not going to feel it. So anyway, oh man, that's it. I'm going to, my rant just went on a little longer than I thought, but um, it's one of those wonderful days. That's it for today. I hope you have a, a really, really great day. Um, I don't know what's going to happen next week, um, but uh, I'm going to try to talk to the guys about doing Ananias and Sapphira's um, uh, discussion because that seems to be tied into this faulty concept of who God is and what are some of the other lenses in the New Testament. I, I love, did you see my face? I love the idea of not only was the Old Testament written from a strobe light, uh, light darkness, light darkness, constantly back and forth um, uh, perspective, and the whole progressive revelation is there, but the New Testament too, there was, there's incompleteness. It's not, it, it's, there's more to learn there. And then we got translation issues. So I love how, Richard said, Jesus didn't do a systematic theology course on. <laughs> That's really true. <laughs> I saw a meme the other day. An hour conversation with a very wise man can be worth more than years of study. And I thought, oh, wow, that was really cool. All right. That's it, folks. I hope you have a great day, and uh, let's uh, let's catch up next time. If you enjoyed this, click like, share it with somebody. Go back and watch last week. So this is part two of two. So part one was really, really good, and uh, I, I hope you have a fantastic week. Uh, hey, Mark, good morning, and Jay, good morning. Uh, Jay, where are you from? I don't, I don't recognize your name there. Sandra, I know where you're from, but uh, uh, just put a comment there of where you're from. All right, you guys have a fantastic day, and look forward to uh, next time. Catch you later. Join me next time on Still Growing in Grace for more good news. Enjoy previous episodes by downloading our podcast at growingingrace.ca. You can also visit hopefellowshipycc.com to find our service times and location. If this show has been an encouragement to you, please consider making a donation today at growingingrace.ca and help us keep spreading this good news. Thank you again for tuning in to Still Growing in Grace.